So what? Is the chief end of humanity. Chief end of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is the first of 196 questions and answers in the Westminster Larger Catechism. If you are unfamiliar with this historic statement of faith in the church, you got to know it came out of the Reformation as a way to teach what were the foundations of the church? 196 questions. They got to the end of those questions and they thought, you know, that's kind of long. So they made a shorter catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. They were really short on names. In that shorter catechism, the very first question is, what is the chief end of humanity? Now, the shorter catechism was made for children and others, and they were expected to understand these things. The shorter catechism has 107 questions. <laughs> Answer, the end. The chief end of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's a statement of purpose. It's a statement of engagement. It's a statement of beginning. What, what? What are we to be about? It seemed to me then that we are on good footing when we look at our guiding document and see that the last and certainly not the least of our core values is to become a God-glorifying community. We have come to the end of our homecoming series. A few weeks ago, Pastor Jeff asked the associates, who wants to preach on this last ser series? And I said, you know what? I haven't been up in a while. No worries. I got it. <laughs> it's a series that we've been putting together throughout the whole entire summer that's walked us through our guiding document. You can find it on our website. It is our mission. It is our values. It is our vision. It is our community essentials. It is who we have determined that we are going to become. Our guiding document is a clear expression of who we have thought about, who what we've prayed about in order to be that person, those people, this church in Pasadena. If you've missed any of those sermons in this series, I really encourage you to go back and listen. Because this is really at the core of what's in front of us, what we want to continue to become. And even in that, own, that statement, we're not there yet, right? The document and the process by which it came about happened long before I started at this church and will continue to be important as we move forward. So the question today is what does it mean to be a God-glorifying community? Well, these are the words that we have chosen. Guided by God's word and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, we seek to be a prayerful community that makes the glory of God known through our words and lives. In other words, trusting God because of the word and the spirit. We want to become a prayerful community 
a community that, that we sense God's leading because of prayer, that we continue to engage God because we, we are on our knees. And we are on our knees so that we can make the glory of God known. Through our words and through our lives. I want to take a look at what this means for us today and all days. It's rooted in scripture, so if you are able, would you please stand for me for the reading of God's word. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. Jesus speaking his prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Spirit of the living God. You have given us these words for this day. Lord God, as I have prayed before, these words are important on a page, but we need them to come off the page and alive in our experience like never before. God, do with these words as you will, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The whole of John 17 and even 16 is this prayer, this high priestly prayer. If you go back through the book of John, you will see Jesus praying for all the things that are about to happen. Jesus praying, praying specifically here for the unity of those who would believe in him through the word of the disciples. He's praying for those that are not in Jesus's midst right there. That means you and I. Over the last two millennia, we have been passing on the good news of Jesus and we have come to believe because of the word and the spirit and the faithfulness of believers along the way you and I sit in this place because of all of that. That, my friends, is a miracle. A miracle of God moving so that we might come to believe and we can look back on words that Jesus speaks over us today. Jesus prays that we would be one. Jesus prays for unity. The Father is in the Son and the Son in the Father. Throughout the Gospel of John, John is concerned about what we hear and what we see. It's a theme throughout the whole entire Gospel. What we hear and what we see and whether or not we are able to point to that and point to God at the same time. There are plenty of people in the gospel who point to what Jesus does and says, yes, I see God in that. And there are other people that point to what Jesus does and say, no, I don't see what God is doing in that. Even more, John expresses more than any other the interaction of the Father and Jesus. 
the unity that Jesus prays for is rooted in the character and glory of God. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. What is Jesus referring to here? Jesus and John have been leading us to understand how the glory of God is integral to the message of the gospel and the mission of the church. But in order to see some of that, we need to go all the way back to Exodus. When we look in Exodus, we find a people who God is trying to lead, who God is trying to rescue, who God is calling as his own. And when we look, we find the first examples and specifically the first verbiage of the glory of God. Exodus 13, we see that God's glory is clearly what is about to lead Israel out of slavery and into a desert. Pillar of fire and cloud embodied and represented the glory of God. It was an indicator of God's presence. In Exodus 14, we see God standing between the people and the armies of Egypt in order to protect God's people from those who were coming. The pillar of fire and cloud moved from in front of the people to behind the people so that the Egyptian armies would be confused. And this pillar was seen by both the Egyptian armies and the Israelites. Exodus 14, during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let us get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. The people of Israel escape across the Red Sea and onto the Sinai Peninsula. God's people are protected because of the glory of God embodied in their midst. Exodus 24. The people have received the commandments and other instructions in Exodus 20. They have been sent an angel as a guide and protection. Exodus 23. And in Exodus 24, Israel is affirming their covenant with God. And then verse 15 and 17 says this, When Moses went up to the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai for six days. The cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on the mountain. Moses stays up there 40 days, 40 nights. Once again, we have a visible demonstration of God's glory. With the people affirming their covenant and, giving in, giving, and, and being given instruction of how to build the Ark of the Covenant. A means of how they're going to continue to walk with God. 
Exodus 33. God meets Moses, verse 11, face to face. Outside his tent. And then on a mountain after, God speaks and says, my presence will be with you and I will give you rest. And Moses asks, God, you've given us these signs. You've embodied yourself in the cloud. You've done all these things. Lord, we want your presence. I was struck when I was reading through some of this because, because I, I kind of always assumed that the fire and the cloud were God's presence. I kind of always assumed that those were the things that just were, were God's presence. Yet Moses, who is there, is continuing to ask for more and asks specifically in 33 for God's presence. Even though he's had conversations face to faith, out, face outside his tent, even though the, the cloud has settled on the mountain, even though that, that they've been saved at the Red Sea, Moses wants to know about God's presence. Here's why this is important, is that God's glory is integral to the message of the gospel and the mission of the church because God's glory is God's character The passages that we talk about here are indicating something very important for us, that the glory of God is unambiguous. Exodus 13, people are led by a clear embodiment of God's glory. Exodus 14, people are protected by the Lord moving to confuse the enemy. Exodus 33, people are reassured not only in 33, but 24, by seeing and hearing the demonstration of God's manifest presence. And remember, during all of these other things, the pillar of fire and the, the cloud were present the whole entire time. Throughout the whole entire time of, of Exodus, you see that up until the very last verse. This understanding of the glory of God is not exhaustive. But it's associated with what John is using to point to Jesus. Jesus is the manifestation of God's glory in the New Testament. And there's, and there's a very clear understanding that the people whom he's giving a testament to in the Exodus have shifted testaments because of the new coming and glory of God. I hope you see that. I'm grateful to Professor Marianne Thompson for this next section about John. This understanding um, about John uh, is, is marked with this bigger piece, and I, and, and, I'm, and I hope you guys see this. John 1. Words, the word becomes flesh. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm skipping through a lot here because there's a lot of scripture. The word becomes flesh. And we beheld his glory. It's the first thing that comes out. Word becomes flesh and we beheld his glory. John is making a, a clear indication that, that Jesus, 
in that section is not only God the incarnate, but holds the glory of God within his person. John 1.17, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus. We're talking about two very different covenants, and you can see that through the whole of John. John 2 verse 11, miracle at Cana is the manifestation of God's glory whose result was the belief of the disciples. That was a moment where the disciples believed because of what God was doing and specifically the manifestation of God's glory. John 11, verse 40. They were promised, Jesus promises, that they will see God's glory in the raising of Lazarus. John 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus prays this prayer, glorify me in your presence, prior to our passage in John 17, where he gives the glory as a manifestation of God's glory and an example of unity to us. God's glory is important. God's glory is a reflection. God's glory is necessary for us. The glory of God is reflected in the life and work of Jesus. The glory of God reflects God's character. The God of glory reflects in the life and work of Jesus and we must do the same. Why? Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I hope that one of the things that you have noticed so far is the corporate nature of this reality. I hope that you have noticed that there's not a whole lot of I statements in here. You statements particular. They are for community. They are for unity. And we have organized ourselves as a community around the person of Jesus and his love for us, Lake Avenue Church. And any human community is a unity of persons. This means that its unity as a community is not a matter of fact, but a matter of intention. We all know this. We live in communities. We live in neighborhoods. And just because you live in a community or a neighborhood doesn't necessarily know you know your neighbors. It takes intention. It takes necessity. It takes a moment of moving from one place to the other so that we might be known in that place.
similar to the Protestant Reformation's five solas. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, scripture alone, and for the glory of God alone. You can go listen to that sermon series too. Lake Avenue Church has set forth our guiding document that we would intentionally rally around these ideals in this community for the sake of God's glory alone. The church can reflect God, the glory of God, but cannot claim to be the object of that glorification. For that would be idolatry. Thus, we worship in unity. Because it's not our glory, it's God. Thus, we grow in grace-filled communities. Because we have to continue to move forward towards what God is calling us. Thus, we serve God's mission because in service, we allow people to see the love of God manifested in the world. I hope that's good news to y'all. We have to become a community that is known by the way that we are manifesting the values of the kingdom of God, calling people into a saving relationship with Jesus, reconciling one another and the world that we glorify God by allowing God's glory to be embodied in us as Jesus has shown. The divine purpose in the creation and redemption is to manifest the eternal glory of God to the whole creation as a community. chief end of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In a few weeks, my wife, my daughter and I, we will get on a plane and we will take our daughter to university. I say it that way because she's actually going to be going to school in England. Which is like really exciting and really far away, so don't get too excited about that for us. <laughs> but we are so proud of who she is. We are so proud of who she is becoming. We pray for her as she goes and explores a new community and culture. And if you think of her, would you join us in that prayer? It has been a long road, as some of you know. We've had many things go right and many things go wrong. The application process to get her into college over there is completely different than over here. The timing's really different. We actually only found out what school she was going to be in four weeks ago. The housing policies are different. One website doesn't say all the things necessary in order to get us where we needed to go when we needed to buy our plane flights. A few months ago, there was a 10-day quarantine and we're like, oh my gosh, we're gonna be stuck in a hotel for 10 days, so where's the cheapest place we can do that? Now that's not a thing anymore. But it could become a thing again, I don't know. We've had a visa application. We think about car rental and driving on the wrong side of the road. How big are the beds? 
We've got to get all these things to plug into the walls. What's the weather like? You get the picture. Truthfully, in all of this, we really needed a tour guide. We needed someone who was familiar with all the definitions. We needed someone who could have given us a set of expectations and illustrated those things for us clearly. We needed someone who could have helped us measure our progress and keep us on task. We needed someone who could have discussed this with us. We needed someone who could have helped us understand the process. What we got were travel agents. We got a glossy brochures and some stories about other people on their journey how happy they were. But we didn't get someone who was living in the journey with us. I hope you see where I'm going. In order for us to fulfill that which is God has for us in this life and in this community, through this guiding statement, we have to follow God's lead in being a tour guide and not travel agents. As one commentator states, the church is to be the embodiment of the revelation and the redemption of Christ before the world so that the world may not only hear that Jesus is the Christ, but they may see that the redemption, revelation of the Christ has power to transform fallen men and women into the likeness of God and to bring about the kind of community the world needs. The unity Jesus prays for will reflect God's character. The unity that Jesus prays for will reflect God's glory and will get the attention of the world. So that we might point to Jesus. God rescued and allowed his glory to be seen in Israel through the desert by being with them, leading them, protecting them, reassuring them. Jesus led his disciples by personifying the glory of God in signs and grace and truth only known in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. And we disciple and lead others. As we do that, we have to be the guides, the ones that will walk with each other, defining, illustrating, measuring, helping, increasing understanding as we glorify God for the sake of the world so that they can see the love and work and power of God. When we invite people to join us here at 393 North Lake Avenue, we have to embody what it means to be a worshiping, growing, and serving community. We have to continue to become a community that is known by the way that we manifest the values of the kingdom of God, that we continue to call people into saving relationship with Jesus, that we reconcile with one another and the world, and that we glorify God by allowing God's glory to be embodied in us as Jesus has shown us. Guided by God's word and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, we seek to be a prayerful community 
that makes the glory of God known through our words and through our lives. May it be so. Amen. Sometimes that walk from the pew is brutal after. <laughs> Chuck, you didn't give me any, any notice there. Nah, that's all right. Um, <laughs> we come uh, to the end of the service to respond. And um, uh, we want to sing a, a really simple song that comes out of um, 1 John 4, 7, and 8. And I want to read that for you. And read that for you. First John chapter four, seven through eight says, Dear friends, the, the NIV says dear friends. Uh, other translations are the word beloved, which I like better. Beloved. Let us love one another. For, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God, because God is love. Amen. Let's stand together. Love, love, love one another. Love one another, for God is love. Love, love, love. Anyone who does not give love does not know God. Yet anyone who extends His grace is a child of the Father. Sing it again, love.
according to my clock, it is 11 ticks and six talks, which means there's a meeting in 24 more talks. There are some snacks on the patio, um, and then we're going to start at 11.30, move some things around, etc., etc. I invite you to come. Here. 11.30. We got some business, y'all. Got some business as the church. We need to hear each other. We need to care for each other. We need to walk with each other clearly. So as we do this thing, if you need prayer this morning, to my left, your right, in the front, we're going to have a few folks over here ready and willing to pray with you. Because I know in my world, there's other things going on as well. We don't want to miss an opportunity to care for what God is dealing with you about. Whether that's your family, your friends, your job, health. We have people who want to walk with you in that. Provide a guide for that, as it were. In these moments as you go, hear these good words. May the God of grace, the God of mercy, the God of peace, cause you to know his glory in you, around you, through you, so that you might be certain of the community that you stand. Go in peace. Amen and amen.